Ali Groner is with us. Three months ago, he stepped down from serving as Prime Minister Netanyahu's Director General, a position he assumed after being confirmed by the Israeli cabinet in mid-2015. The Director General manages Israel's federal bureaucracy and is responsible for formulation and implementation of most domestic policy decisions. Among other responsibilities, he uh, headed Israel's China-Israel Joint Economic Task Force. He oversees the National Cyber Bureau, was designated by the government to lead Israel's National Intelligence Mobility Initiative prior to assuming his role as Director General. Mr. Groner served as the economic attaché to Washington, a position also requiring cabinet confirmation. His time in the public sector was preceded by two years at Tanuva, six years at McKinsey & Company, Graduated from Barilan right here in the great state of Israel. Ellie Groner, welcome to JM in the AM. Pleasure to be here. How long were you in the Prime Minister's office? 37 months. And uh, it must be one of the most incredibly unique experiences of anyone's life who gets an opportunity to do that. There's no question. There's no question. You can do anything that I can possibly conceive of doing after this role, I don't see it approaching <laughs> in terms of interest, intensity, uh, what it was like there. And it was really a pleasure and an honor to serve. Uh, that I'm sure. Is, is every day, and this may seem redundant, but is, is every day 24 plus hours? Is, is there never downtime when you're in a position like that? Zero downtime. I'm not, I wouldn't exaggerate for effect in this case. Right. Literally, I would say for 37 months, except for one two-week vacation, it was... Um, 16, 17 hours a day of work. And a middle... Net, net work, right. not gross, not that 16, right. 17 hours of work. And a middle-of-the-night crisis could be what? Could I mean, obviously, we always, you know, think about, God forbid, terror attacks or things that happen to Israeli citizens, you know, at a moment's notice, but what other types of things could wake you up in the middle of the night? Middle-of-the-night crises are actually not the biggest component to it. Obviously, middle-of-the-night crises can be something happened that has security relations. Right. But the real issue is that there's so much to do, and because the um, because the Israeli government is structured in a way that the Director General Prime Minister's office actually is a sort of nerve center for everything, and it's very important for the Prime Minister or the Director General to be on, who represents Prime Minister, to be on right. board for any major policy decision. There was always work to be done. You're, and at, you're at every meeting. It's not just at every meeting, because being at every meeting is, is, is not an effective use of time. A lot of things, meetings don't always tend to be effective. Right. This might surprise some of your listeners, but meetings in the public sector are not always that effective. But uh, it's very important to actually use the time uh, judiciously so that you can have as much impact and be as effective as possible. Listen, that those 37 months are among the longest in the history of the position, right? Back in the 50s, Teddy Kollek did the job for six years, but that just <laughs> is not possible today. That's sort of like, you know, uh, comparing Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds' 73 home runs <laughs> right. to something in the post-steroid era. It's not going to happen uh, again. But uh, to me, the important thing was spending those uh, 37 months as effectively as possible, being able to um, deploy and change Israel's policy, primarily economic policy, in a way that was that would advance the Jewish state, not just for those three, not just for the duration of right. Prime Minister Netanyahu's term, but really for the next several decades. Now, the infrastructure. We, we always look at the turnaround of Israel's economy, of it going from a desperate economy to a robust economy. Everyone points to Netanyahu, and not necessarily to him as Prime Minister. But when he was, you know, more in charge of, I guess, the, the finance department of the state, right? Yes. That, that would be where the big change came. Once Israel had this reputation, or once it looked to us as observers, 
that it had a really solid, established, good economic base, what then happens during your tenure? How can you go ahead with that start and make it even better? Well, uh, there's a lot to do. First, let's, I mean, very simply, with, with everything that you just discussed and Israel's great uh, economic growth and thriving startup nation, etc., GDP per capita was $36,000 a year. Now, are we satisfied with a GDP per capita of $36,000 a year, or do we, do we aspire to double it? Do we aspire to triple it, right? So to say that, you know, with $36,000 a month, uh, $36,000 a year GDP per capita, that's not there. The second issue is that Israel's security needs are very, very real. And if you want to be a military and security force, that costs a lot of money, right? right? Cyber um, supremacy costs a lot of money. F-35s cost a lot of money. Submarines cost a lot of money. How does and it not we need, how does, we need all those things. How does it not bankrupt you the state of Israel? You need to generate economic growth. You need to gener- you need to keep generating economic growth. And that's the key the to stemming the tide. That is everything. You cannot have military you cannot have military strength without economic strength. When you have both of those pillars, when you're strong militarily and you're strong economically, by the way, that's when you see diplomatic breakthroughs. It's not about no one wants to make diplomatic alliances with people that are weak. You only want to, you aspire to make deals with those kind of people when you're strong. And what you've seen over the last five years, and I was proud to be a part of it over, you know, over three plus years, was um, we're seeing all these diplomatic breakthroughs and real breakthroughs in the Far East, in South America, in Africa. You know, the U.S., what what the listeners are familiar with, that's, that's obvious, right? But, and by the way, no less significant, the moderate Arab states in the region, that is a result of our economic policy, which triggered sort of the derivative of strengthening our military, which makes us a force to be reckoned with on a global scale. And that's why we're seeing such uh, progress that begets progress that begets progress. Are a lot of those relationships kept under the radar? I mean, when, when I mean, you just alluded to it, you said Arab states, you know, in, in, in relationship to Israel. Uh, and I assume that means that there's some type of... of uh, uh, of um, not, not negotiation, but some type of business relationship that's going on with states that would probably shock us. Am I right? It's um, it's cooperation. It's cooperation. Say it's not necessarily deals. <sighs> or there deal, are a but combination it's of deals. Not, and it's not the business relationship. The business alliance. The economic alliance is not the end all be all. Right. It's real alliances. Right. There's this. Um, it's there's, a piece there's, of the there's, diplomacy. There's this burgeoning nuclear threat in our region, right. which. Uh, is cause of concern for Israelis, and it's actually more cause of concern for some of our other neighbors in the region. And right. what they have recognized is that Israel is part of the solution and not part of the problem. They've recognized that in a big way, and that's why you're seeing this sort of um, cooper- under-the-radar cooperation, which uh, is happening um, not just when you cooperate with people, you tend to do business with them. Right. And that leads to all sorts of other opportunities. Uh, Ellie Groner is with us. Tell me about the China piece. Uh, I mean, obviously, because of the incredible growth in, in startups, entrepreneurship, etc. So there's a, a desire uh, for many countries, not just China, to send their leaders over to, you know, certain, send their business leaders over and explore what's happening here in Israel. I get that. But it, I, I, it seems like there's... Something extra special in that relationship between the Chinese leadership and Israeli leadership. What is it? China is complicated, but I'll tell you this. 
when we were there, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu and I went in 2017. We went about mm, six, 17, 18 months ago to China. We got the red carpet treatment, the likes of which are unimaginable for people uh, that weren't there. I'm talking about the president, the prime minister, because, Jack Ma, the business because. leader. Because they understand that the world is becoming increasingly digitized. The world is becoming increasingly technology-oriented. It's, you know, it's not just about cybersecurity, and it's not just about who can develop a better chip for a base station for this cell phone. Everything is becoming technologized. There's no more high-tech and low-tech. Everything is tech. Agriculture is all about technology. Um, industries, water is all about technology. And, you know, for years, the, the, these, three, these global forces of, of um, digitization, of, of sort of interconnectivity, which is creating big data. You layer on top of that artificial intelligence. This is on and all it's all happening in Israel. And that plays to Israel's sweet spot. Right. That is really our core capability. That is where we are second to none on a global state scale. And when you have countries around the world, China included, but we have countries all over the world that are thinking, dealing with challenges that range from how do we fight terror, how do we feed our people, and how do we grow our economy, and the answer to all three of those questions are, in the same place. are technology, then right. guess what? You're going to come to Israel. And when you have a country that's led by a first-rate global leader like Benjamin, like Benjamin Netanyahu, I have to say, most countries around the world, you know, the people are less sophisticated than your listenership, okay? They don't necessarily know who presidents and prime ministers are in other countries. Right. Netanyahu is one of the most well-known world leaders, legitimate world right. leaders. And that plays to our strengths. And that is why we had the red carpet rolled out for us in China, in India, in South America. Africa. 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 I mean, we, Africa was amazing. We, had a, we have a trilateral deal with, uh, between Israel, the U.S., and Africa on this Power Africa initiative run out of uh, the U.S. government, which gives Israeli companies priority for U.S. Dollars from the Power Africa initiative in order to um, in order to bring these kind of technologies to help African agriculture. I mean, can you imagine, Nahum, that Israeli companies are getting priority? Are getting priority? By the way, this is sort of an assigned memorandum of understanding between Israel and the U.S. We have we've been we gave Israeli companies or America gave Israeli companies priority for their funding for Europe. This was a big signing ceremony. The Prime Minister, myself, uh, all the African ambassadors from around the world, David Friedman and I signed on it together. It was, it's a very, very, very big deal. Unbelievable. Ellie Groner is with us. You just alluded to something that, that we always hear in the U.S. Is, is the Prime... And I don't think this is that controversial, frankly, as you look back on your tenure with the Prime Minister. Is he, in fact, much more popular outside of Israel than in Israel? Or that's unfair? <laughs> um... How would you describe the way Israelis think of him? Would they prefer that that, that he not be the longest tenured prime minister at this point? Because like, we know what we think about him in the U.S., and you've just described Europe and, and, and Asia and Arab states to us in terms of uh, the respect he gets. Everybody has their advantages and disadvantages. Here's what I'll say, and this is more – I'm, I'm, it's only a partial dodge. <laughs> the, the, uh, the Israeli – parliamentary coalition system is structured as follows. I'm going to compare it to the U.S. President Trump, what percentage of the vote did he get? 40. No, he got 
50%, let's call it. 49.9. Okay. Right. He got Correct. 50% of the vote, and he barely won. Correct. Right? Netanyahu, in 2015, had a resounding victory by Israeli standards. It was just a resounding landslide, unbelievable, <laughs> left everyone else in the dust. You know what percentage of the, vo- of the, of the vote he got? 25. 25%. 30 seats out of 120. Right. Meaning our system is much more fractured in that way. Right. So. Um, so it's, naturally, it's, it's, it's 75% were not happy with it. It's right. a tough comparison to make. By Good the way, point. by Israeli standards, that was a resounding victory. Right. 25% of the vote. Right. Understood. That's the way our system works. Right. So the system might dictate that he's not as popular here as outside the country. The parliamentary coalition system where you have multiple candidates tends to cause a lot of people to look at the flaws in other people as opposed to when you just have two candidates to vote for and you focus on the flaws of just one other person, and right. more people gravitate towards and it. When Put it this way, if it was a vote just between Netanyahu and one other candidate right. here, I think he would probably end up with a higher percentage of the vote in Israel than um, any U.S. president I can remember. Understood. So when you look at, at the way he operates, and you saw this up close and personal for, for years, mm-hmm. Is it any surprise to you that he's been able to do what he's done over all these decades? That he's maintained, essentially, the office. I mean, we're talking about, you know, with rare exception, you know, nobody else was prime minister over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, I know with there's exceptions, but you get my yeah. point. Uh, is it any surprise to you? Is, is he a diplomatic genius? Is he a political genius? Is he a, uh, you know, what is it about him that has allowed him to, to maintain this status? He, um... First of all, he's a political genius. Second of all... He knows the moves to make. Second of all, uh, he's very highly regarded internationally uh, for good reason. And uh, third of all, um, he... You know, the secret to... In business, the secret to um, success for certain industries is understanding how it's regulated and playing to that strength. Right. He understands very well the way the Israeli system works. Uh, we can complain about it from time to time, but he understands it and works exceptionally well within that system. Sometimes that system includes crushing political enemies, you know. That's, uh, I think that's true for, uh, for, for any political system anywhere in the world, yeah, as far as I can tell, any democratic system. Right. And now it looks like... If you want to stay around for 12 years. Right. And now it looks like... It's, 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 it's not the cleanest game in town, let's put it that way. Correct. And, and now it looks like there'll be early elections, and the question is, if he calls for them... would. We will know eventually, but there are those who think it could be a miscalculation. We've seen other countries go through early elections where the, the, the sitting prime minister thought that they had a solid opportunity to take advantage and really you know, hammer, hammer the victory home, and they were you know, surprised to find out it wouldn't happen. And guess what, Nahum? That's the way of the world. You could sit around and Conjecture, uh, yeah. and be bold, or you right. can always be the Monday morning quarterback and say, what would have happened if otherwise? You know when we'll know if it was... If it was a smart move to call early elections after election day, after elections, if right. if uh, the, you know the rev- if 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 he wins, then it'll be oh he's a political genius. Of course he did it. And if he doesn't have his resounding victory as people anticipate, oh you know what a mistake. How why, why did he? There's going to be a lot of revisionist history as to why. But I you know that's not uh, the fact of the matter is early elections in Israel is not really news. The the news is when they're not early elections, right? right? If you think about it, this government has been in... Pl- the last elections were in March 2015. Right. So we're closing in on, on... We're approaching four years. Now, the only reason it's early is because elections were supposed to be... Originally supposed to be in November. Now, guess what? That's a four-year, eight-month term. Yeah. That's insane. That's, in, that's almost... It's insanely... It's almost crazy to think that they would live out that term. So... 
What percent- he hasn't called anything yet. We'll what see. percentage of your colleagues in the Prime Minister's office when you were there spoke a fluent English? A much, much, much smaller percentage than you than you think. What would the percentage I, be, approximately? It's not ten percent, is English it? English mother tongue, or really, you know, fluent mother tongue. I mean, you know, fluent. Well, is a lot of Israelis have good English, but right. in terms of what you're thinking about, I think it's a lot less than you think. Less than ten percent. Here's the less here, than 10%. Here, here's the dirty secret. In the sort of <coughs> Anglo media world, everyone thinks that Prime Minister Netanyahu surrounds himself with Anglo's because those are the people that you're familiar with. Right. But there's Prime Minister. I oversaw 435 people in the Prime Minister's office. The Prime Minister's staff himself has another twenty something. AIDS. Um, that's, you know, call it conservatively 450 people, including, you know, 30, 40 that work closely with him. Now, guess what? Um, yeah, none of my predecessors, you know, when you go into the prime minister's office, um, there's, you know, prime minister Netanyahu, there's a prime minister's office, and down the hall, there's the director general's office. Right. And above the director general's office is a picture of every director general from Teddy Kollek up until mine. Um, with their ter- with their duration on it, etc. I'm the first fluent English speaker ever in the position, right? The pop- the the issue is that um, historically, Prime Minister Netanyahu has wisely had his foreign policy people, which is a you know it's a very small piece of of what a prime minister deals with right. foreign policy, right? He's had his foreign policy people uh, be people that are fluent in English. Guess what? That makes sense. You want people sure. that are going to work on your U.S. policy to be fluent in uh, the U.S., not right. just in English, in the U.S. Just like the advantage he takes that he has a right. great so, English Right, exactly. So there's there's a number of these people that have been doing that, but, you know, those are not the majority. Those are not the masses. Those are, I mean, there's also a lot of security things. There's right. a lot of economic things. There's chevrati things. There's secu- I mean, you know. Plenty I, of local stuff. There, there's a lot of other stuff besides U.S. policy. You just said there were 435 under you? Yes. How many do you think there were in Golda's term under the uh, director general? Any clue? I, I don't know, but I'll say Wouldn't that the challenges, the challenges facing, you know, I had, to, we, we, I, I'll bet you that we had a lot more work to do than, uh, no offense I, to Golda, I, but I get that. The, the world has become increasingly complicated. I get that, but, but we also know the, the difference in numbers between her inner cabinet and Netanyahu's inner cabinet, and it's a vast difference. I'm wondering if uh, okay, under the director general, those numbers would also be a vast difference. Yeah, everything's grown because, you know, we, in, in, 2018, we have to run a national cyber bureau, right. and you know you, you didn't have that in 1973. And uh, security decisions have become more complicated, and economic decisions have become more globally intertwined. There's just a lot more. Uh, the world has become, in many ways, much more complex, and uh, that requires um, that requires more thought on a lot of things. However, to the sort of important international barometers, what's the percentage of Public spend relative to the economy, or what percentage? What percentage of um, what percentage of, of of GDP is spent on public sector? Right. That percentage has gone way down from gold. We're right around forty percent now, which was unthinkable even ten years ago. Understood. Ellie Groner is here. I don't know if you could answer these questions, but I have a couple of curiosities. So maybe you could. Uh, uh, how how do public officials in Israel react to the satirical presentations of Israeli television? How do they, for our listeners to put it into perspective, how do Israeli officials react to what happens in America on Saturday Night Live? Meaning Eretz Nadaret and things like that. Is it ever discussed in the office or not? Um, I think it's probably discussed in the office the same degree of that it's discussed in offices across the country. Listen, Eretz Nadaret happens to be a, 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 a high 
uh, a high quality program. It's funny. Right. It's, right. Le- it's legitimately funny. Right. right? But it has a certain uh, political uh, leaning. But yeah. Uh, because you're always going to make fun of whoever's in power. True. Good point. And right. um, because the uh, center right has been in power for so long, it's only natural for them to make fun of them. Right. But, but the, the satire is actually. For the most, it's hard to do good satire, right? And they actually so do no one good walks satire. in angry on the next morning. Nah, okay. I don't think so. Once the, in a while, there's a, there's a there's a manufactured crisis. You right. know, how could they depict Naftali <laughs> Bennett right. that way? And uh, but, but but it's it's not. <laughs> and and the prime minister goes to the UN, has to deliver a speech in English, and usually a historic speech, or at least something close to what many would call historic. Every speech is a historic speech. Come how, on. how many people see that speech in advance? Hmm. Can you say that he... A dozen? I don't know. Is it, so it's not even possible to say he writes the speech. He has people who help Prime him Minister write. Prime Minister writes all Does he write speeches. the speech? Of course. <laughs> As we say in the vernacular. <laughs> it, would he tend to be more involved in the writing of an English speech than a Hebrew one? Or Prime or, Minister writes all his own speeches. That's Come the on. only thing you'll tell me, huh? <laughs> that's it. I can't, I, can't, I can't get anything else out of him. Um, what did you think, by the way, of the... UN 2018 speech. And I, I thought it was great. I categorize these speeches. I, I watch the UN annual speech. To me, are fascinating. What he's going to focus on, how many jokes he makes, what types of props he's going to use. So, I found this one to be. So let me say this: I left the office in July. I had zero. Right. I understood. Had, no, no, but so, you so, probably no, saw. No, it. So, so I wanted right. to just make sure the the biases right. are not in place. I had zero to do with the 2018 speech. Right. I would say less than zero, but that's mathematically impossible. Okay. I had zero to do with the speech. I was not one of the people that saw this, the, one of the dozen people that saw the speech ahead of time. Right. I had no idea. I found out about it just like every other citizen of Israel. I actually thought that was one of his better speeches. I really did because I thought there was, um, I thought there was new content. You know, oftentimes some of the criticism uh, from sort of uh, the, the Israeli criticism of some of the speeches tended to be something along the lines of. You know, he's great at speaking, but there's nothing new there. There's no right. news, et cetera. And that, you, that tends to come from people that don't understand the value of, you know, in, in diplomacy, sometimes you need to hammer messages right. again and again. Be reminded about it. To that. So, right. But leaving that criticism aside, this time there was actually new material. It was actually, I thought it was... Uh, the Iranians I, I, are very helpful with I, that. I, huh? I thought it was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. They give you new material. Uh, believe me, there's a lot more material that uh, he'll never tell and I'll never tell. But it's... Um, there was it, there was there was new information for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the population in this speech. So I thought it was actually one of his better ones. Speaking to Ellie Groner, we're here in Jerusalem with JM and the AM, and the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, what do you? By the way, my condolences to uh, Yankees fans, oh, of which I am one. You I, heard uh, about it, huh? What do you mean I heard about it? I uh, you were up early like uh, me? Of course. What kind of question is that? I mean, how is it possible? Explain to me. How is it possible that they lose two in a row to the Red Sox? How's that possible? Why did they leave CC in? Why <laughs> did Aaron Boone leave CC in? Aaron, if you're listening to JM and the AM, why did you leave CC in? That's what you have a bullpen for. What is your day like now? You are concentrating on what activities so now? now? I actually have time to watch the baseball games. That's, first <laughs> That's of the all. activity you're concentrating <laughs> That's on. That's first of all. <laughs> Second of all, no, I, listen, I, I stepped down three months ago. Right. Um, I'm actually limited in what I can do within Israel for another few months. Do you help your replacement or not? Or you just so walk there, out? There hasn't been a uh, replacement named yet. Oh, ah, okay. Um, and in an election year, it's less important because... The dirty half secret is that nothing is. There's no economic policy that's really going to get done right. over the next. They'll, they'll uh, be campaign. They'll year. be campaign focused. Yeah, everything is no, and it's very hard. It's also legally it's challenging to do economic policy because it, there's you know a lot of things that need to be approved by 
by our justice, right, by our Ministry of Justice, is that, well, you're doing that because it's an election, therefore, you're not going to be able to get anything done in an election. Got it. It's no, it's no secret. Got it. Which was why I was uh, uh, comfortable stepping aside, right. and basically I told Prime Minister Netanyahu that he should, you know, hire the person who he would transition with to take with him for the next term, because I do anticipate him uh, serving another term. Right. Um, so uh, I've been, uh, you know, enjoying and you myself. Said you're, and you Went said you're co- limited. You said you're limited. I, I'm limited in what I'm allowed to do in right. Israel just because of cooling off periods and right. whatnot. So I'm, uh, you know, actually going to China next week. I've gone with my wife and I have taken a couple of vacations already. I'm uh, going to China next week. We're doing a pretty nice uh, speaking tour in the U.S. end of October, beginning of November. So if you happen to be in New York, New Jersey, Montreal, Denver, Phoenix, or Los Angeles, you know, maybe I'll come your way. And what will that theme be? You'll do a speaking engagement? Well, what it's like to work in the Prime Minister's office? Like, no, what's... I'll talk about... Uh, um, it'll be sort of like, you know, what really involved in running a country. Got and, it. And um, some of these going to be off-record stuff, etc. But um, And then I'll... Uh, I, I anticipate... Um, planting uh, planting a flag somewhere in uh, you know towards the beginning of 2019, looking at different sort of opportunities. But it'll be in it'll be in the it'll be in Startup Nation. It'll be something business oriented. It'll be something um, uh, where I think we'll be able to have a lot of impact and where we'll be able to help Israel's economy grow. And also, I anticipate staying involved in sort of the policy stuff. Any particular company? We know it. Ways, mobilize, etc. The types of impact they've had. Anything happening now that has caught your eye? That's a lot, a lot, a lot. There's a lot. There, there is, there is so much. But you can't tell on. us an app that'll be in every phone in the world, like Waze. Like there's nothing like that at the moment. That uh, I, I want to give first dibs to my limited partners. They got <laughs> good strategy on your part. That's how you grow an economy, huh? <laughs> exactly. I, I have enjoyed this tremendously. Uh, Feelings mutual. I appreciate that very much. Uh, aside from the Yankee comment, I no, mean, <laughs> I feel, I'm, I'm a Yankees fan. I know it's, I'm a Yankees it's fan. terrible. It gives me. Uh, <laughs> I, I was not. I was not happy to see it, but we have to. We have to give credit to the Red Sox. They are a very, very, very good team. And by the way, if you're still a world traveler in March, I'm sure you've heard that the Yankees and Red Sox are playing in London. In March, I did not to hear. start the 2019. You heard this, the 2019 baseball season. So a regular, to put a regular season, regular game? season game. You want to maybe want to put together a little London uh, journey with the. I, I heard Israelis go to London for the day. Is I, that I, true? But, but, Israelis drop fly to London for a day. I'll be going there for two days in March. It sounds like. But I'm, t- <laughs> but I'm talking about Israelis who leave in the morning to go shopping and come back at night. I will tell you something about Israelis. This is something that's that's this is you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners understand this. Israelis. The, the, the extent to which people will travel, and I guess it's historically Jews have been wanderers right. and travelers, etc., but the extent to which they'll travel to stay in Israel is unbelievable. A American, your mainstream American, if he gets a job offer in London, and it's a job offer he can't turn down, what does he do? His family moves to London, right? right? That's a, An Israeli gets a job offer in London he can't do, turn down, what does he do? He <laughs> travels every week, right? No, uh, you think I'm making this up. Go to go to Ben Gurion on, on Sunday night and look at the number of Israelis like in, in Ranana and Efrat and Modi'in and Hashmonei. They're traveling all over the world every week. Their families are here. And the extent to which Israelis will travel in order to have families in Israel is mind-boggling. Israelis... And you mean North nothing. American Israelis as well, obviously. Yeah, no, but Israelis, Jews, Israelis right. think nothing. I mean, Israelis, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Jews, Israelis, it's, right. it's almost the Hainuach, right? It's right. just that there's still people that live in, 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 in America, and right. I won't go into why, but, 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 but um, Israelis, 
think nothing. I, I've had people approach me. There's this cherry grove in Ethiopia. It's a great business opportunity. Let's go tomorrow. Like they, they'll think nothing. You, 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 United opened up a line, a, a flight. Here, here's, a, here's a true story. I'm not making this up. Before there was a direct flight to San Francisco, and back in my sort of uh, when I before I became a government, you know, uh, hack, and I was a real business professional, I would go to San Francisco once a year, let's say. And the way to go before United opened the direct line was you'd fly to Los Angeles. And then you take one of these um, smaller flights from, from L.A. Right. to San Francisco. The flights from L.A. to San Francisco would leave every hour, and they would have like 75 people on them, 80 people on them. One of these, like, um, uh-huh. I must have taken that flight from L.A. to San Francisco six times, seven times, eight times. I'm telling you, every time I was on, there were like five Israelis <laughs> on the flight. Now, it's, 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 halfway, it's halfway around the world. There's only 80 people on the flight. Israelis travel anywhere. They'll travel anywhere at all times because they, they like it. They're good at it. And the world is becoming a smaller place and Israelis are becoming more, more in demand. Will they be allowed to go to Qatar to view the World Cup as spectators or not? Uh, Likely not, right? I don't know. It's possible know. that the diplomacy could... People with... Uh, that's complicated. That's complicated. Certain people certainly cannot. Right. My travel has been severely hindered by my... Uh, Your position. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't expire, unfortunately. It's not like... Right. Uh, there's no a five-year expiration date on where I can travel and when. But that's part of the price of uh, serving. Unbelievable. Ellie, thank you so much. Pleasure. This was absolutely phenomenal. Pleasure. Ellie Groner, everybody. At one time, for 37 months, Director General of the Prime Minister's Office. And as you heard, uh, no doubt he will plant a flag somewhere in 2019. That will no doubt be intriguing to all of us.